go all the way back to ground, uh, the ground up learning of even cable television. Yes. So I started my Can we start there? TV. Like cable oh, wow. television? Cable television. What is that? Yeah. Is that like, was that pre-YouTube? Yeah. Was it? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, basically when I graduated college, undergrad, I knew I wanted to work in media. I knew I wanted to be a writer. I had very few connections. I did one of those things where I, like, as soon as I could get out of school, I, I did, and I moved to New York City, and my parents said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to be a writer in New York City. And where are you from? Uh, I'm from Connecticut originally. Okay, cool. uh, I'd gone to school in Massachusetts and left and moved to New York, and uh, my way into the media industry was through television production. Uh-huh. I knew some people that were pitching shows at the time to ESPN. You may have heard of it. Yes. And they needed production assistants, so I took a job as a production assistant, and I did that for a while. Um, Eventually left ESPN and I worked for A&E TV, which at the time was a joint venture between Disney and Hearst and NBC. And they still had the biography series and the History Channel was a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was an associate producer there. But the whole time that I was doing TV, I really wanted to be a writer. And mm-hmm. I, I knew that. That was my end goal. Um, but I, I had just sort of gotten into this, this video world. And once I was in it, I found it, I found it hard to become a full-time writer um, and also once you have landed a few media jobs and with you know little to no connections you're thinking mm. well this is great i mean i i've hit the jackpot right i should just keep on Stay keeping on yeah. um, but my opportunity finally came i joined the wall street journal as a video producer in 2008 and 2008 was a particularly crazy year it was I mean, it was the year of the financial crisis. It mm-hmm. was uh, the year of Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just a lot going on in the news. And enough to cover. Enough to cover. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot to cover for video, for, for sure. And at the time, the Wall Street Journal was particularly interested in doing a lot of um, live streaming video, mm-hmm. which now, I mean, everyone live streams on their smartphones and Facebook Lives and there's Periscope and all this. But at the time, uh, required significant investment in the technology and the infrastructure and all of that required to just get a live stream of video up on the, you know, up on mm-hmm. WSJ.com. And we started this live video programming. Um, and I was produce I was helping to produce a technology show. It was called Digits. Ah. Uh, and, uh, and while I was at the journal, I thought, well, if I'm ever going to write, if I'm ever going to make the transition to writing, this is, this is the place to do it because there are fabulous editors here. Everyone is so talented and I have so much I can learn from here. So I started writing on the side and pitching stories to editors of the Wall Street Journal uh, for the tech section. And they just started getting picked up, basically. You know, and they were happy to have someone who was excited about blogging about technology, you yeah. know, who, would, who was basically contributing on the side of her full-time job, which was producing videos uh, for, about technology. Um, so that's kind of how I, like, I ended up eventually getting into, into writing. And why did the writing fascinate you? Like, why was that the dream? Why was that the, you know, the reason you went to New York City? Well, I think there, there's a practical answer to that and sort of rom- a romantic answer. Right. And, and the romanticized version is from the time I was little, I mean, pre-teens, I wanted mm-hmm. to be a writer. I just thought, this is what I want to do. I, love, I'm a, I was a voracious reader as a kid. I, all of my heroes essentially were writers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought, well... That's what that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I just I honestly never saw sort of any other path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the practical answer is that once I had spent time as a video producer and spent time lugging equipment around on my back all the time, I thought, 
wouldn't this be great if this was the time I transitioned to just carrying a laptop? <laughs> because it is so much easier to file a story than it is to edit and you know produce and edit and upload a video. I mean, I'd spent so many conferences sort of sitting on the floor with like my, my tripod and my camera and my extra batteries and all of this stuff and, and literally was just a mule for my equipment. Oh my gosh. And thought, you know, I think I'm gonna get to the point where I'm, I'm doing more writing than, than carrying around video equipment. So um, yeah, so that was part of the impetus. Yeah, when I go on vacation with my family, I go to see my mother-in-law. I call myself the Sherpa because I'm like, you know, lugging everything around. Every, tech products or just everything? Yeah. You, you get like assigned everyone's luggage and they just... Yeah. Um, so what was the first kind of tech product where you, you were saying to yourself, mind blown. Can't believe uh, it. So that's a really good question because I think... Most people, when they think of tech products, they're thinking of uh, gadgets. They're thinking of hardware. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, we all have hardware. I'm looking around right now, and you've got a MacBook over there. And I'm sure you have, you know, fun. I have so much stuff in my bag right now um, mm -hmm. because I was just out of this tech event. Um, but I think it's easy to overlook services and the impact that sort of disruptive, and that word's used a lot, but the impact that disruptive services can have. So when I was at the Wall Street Journal, um, it was pretty much in the early days of services like Uber and now Foursquare, which hasn't, of course, swelled to nearly the size of a company like Uber. Um, Twitter was still very early. I mean, it was early enough then that if you were on Twitter or Facebook at work, it was still like you felt like you had to hide it from your boss. Mm -hmm. Whereas now the content that we make is so dependent on the distribution channels of those services that right. like if you're not on Twitter or Facebook at work, work. you're not doing your job correctly. So um, I remember very early on some friends of mine in San Francisco saying uh, there's this new service where you just open an app and you call a, a black town car and it arrives at you if you can't get a cab. And I said, why do you, I was living in New York at the time, and I said, well, why do you need that? You can just walk out and hail a cab in New York City. And they said, yeah. no, you can't in San Francisco. You should try it. So the next time I was out in San Francisco, I did. I found myself like on this hill, you know, late at night, was yeah. unable to get a cab, had to get back to my hotel, and I used Uber for the first time. And my mind was just sort of blown. Yeah. Um, and I went back to New York and I said to the editor at the Wall Street Journal, I want to write a review of this service. Like, this is kind of crazy. And did some research into, like the company's positioning at the time was very much about, you know, we're going to fill in the gaps for downtime for drivers. And here's the percentage of downtime that drivers, cab drivers, livery drivers, you know, have. And we're going to fill in the gaps. And this is how we're going to sort of change this this whole like ecosystem, this whole system. Um, so I, I was like really blown away by Uber from the early days. And I remember reviewing Foursquare, and at the time, people were like, "Wait, you ch you check in and you tell people where you are? Isn't that such a..." privacy you know nightmare yeah. and uh, and now everyone just tells everybody where they are all the time whether mm -hmm. we you know mean to or not um and so i think stuff like that when i first started covering tech was in twitter uh i said those three were this like really uh this was between like 2008 and 2011 uh -huh. i'd say this was really happening um 
Yeah, and then you know, and then on the on the hardware side, there's a, things are always getting thinner. Uh, displays are getting better. Batteries are getting somewhat longer lasting, although there are limitations around how you know well batteries can actually perform. Or how um, often they explode. Or how often they <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> explode. Sick burn. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so when you're around, uh, I don't want to stop you though. So please oh no, no, no it's okay. I'm stuff, rambling. But, 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 no, what was kind of the thing that you're like? That is craziness on the hardware side. Oh, uh, the I, the iPhone. Oh. It was the iPhone. I think it was the four, uh, the four S, and that's because I had had a BlackBerry up until that point. Right. And I had tried early, the early iPhone, and it just you know it didn't work very well in truth. And um, and I had some friends who had the iPhone, and I remember thinking, well, they're the early adopters, and I'm I had a work issued BlackBerry, and that's what I'm sticking with. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine? I used to like test apps on the BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. I remember testing like RDO in the early days on the BlackBerry, mm-hmm. and um, and but then I was I was a video producer, and so the iPhone started doing HD video. Right. And I thought, well, I have to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, people were still using flip cameras at the time. Right. And I thought, well, I'm going to try I have to try it because it's got the, these, this great uh, video capturing you know, capability. And it was, it was great. It kind of blew me away. And then, yeah. and then I went iPhone. You were talking about disrupting, which is, I, I agree. I mean, we hear that word all the time. I've got another question about someone who's disrupting that you interviewed on, on uh, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Great name, by the way. Thank too you. Ba- oh, too Embarrassed to Ask, but I'm going to... I'm going to ask it anyway. That's such a great name. Well, I hear that all the time. Like, I, when I go home <laughs> oh, for the really? holidays, my friends are like, I'm so embarrassed to ask you this, but like, how do I get my photos off this thing, you know, this phone? Or, and I'm like, why are you embarrassed to ask? Let's just ask it, you know? And so it just kind of felt like a natural title for helping mm-hmm. people with consumer tech. Yeah, it is great. Well, thank I'm, you. I was thinking about the, the Disrupt, right? And my grandmother, who was passed a long time ago, who grew up, I think, just before the turn of the century, 1900s, so they're, you know, she's getting older, and the uncles are around, the aunts and the kids, and so, you know, Grandmother Hammond, what's, what, what invention really changed your life in the world? And, uh, you know, she would have seen a lot. She's seen the computer, you know, she, she saw, you know, so many things, and she said the car. The car. She, because, it's I mean, amazing. The practical thing was they could go from their little town to the bigger city mm-hmm. and you know say four hours versus all day by horse so i mean that's a pretty pretty big disruption right as a vehicle so now there's a new disruption kind of coming up and i'm a, i love classic cars vintage cars um there's a new disruption coming up with with automobiles where do you see the automobile industry do you kind of tease that out in your mind where's the automobile industry going to be in the next five ten years this is a really interesting question because um, we've been asking a lot of people this lately in our Verge interviews. We've been asking people to sort of prognosticate on the future and talk about the future and autonomous vehicles have come up a lot. And I think people are really hesitant to put uh, sort of a timeline on things. And I am too, because I think that there are a lot of technological hurdles right now to autonomous vehicles really being something that are you know fully reliable and then even if you can get past the technology uh the regulatory you know issues still exist mm-hmm. um and then there's this third element of it which should not be discounted at all which is just the ability for humans to accept and uh adopt you know adapt to mm-hmm. new technologies it seems like 
the rate, you know, you mentioned the car. Think about how long it probably took for some people, for society, to adjust to this idea of the car. Mm -hmm. um, think about how long it took for people to adjust to the idea of moving away from cash. Right. Think about stuff like that. And then think about the rate at which technology is changing right now. It is so fast. New product cycles are so compressed yes. that but humans haven't really changed. And so there's still this, you know, resistance in a lot of ways to just fully embracing new technology, even if it's really cool. So I think like in an ideal world, would it be great to say, oh, yes, in five years, I think self-driving cars are going to make everything, you know, going to make uh, the roads safer. Uh, it's going to reduce carbon emissions, uh, it's going to do all these great things. Like that would be great, but I just, I think it's, we're still a little far off from that. And I think what's going to happen is ride sharing is still going to sort of um, dominate, you know, the, the auto technology market for a while. Mm -hmm. And then eventually that ride sharing tech, those ride sharing platforms will kind of become intertwined with this idea of autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. Does that answer the question? Um, I mean, where do you see yeah. it going? Oh, jeez. I mean, I see it. I can see both played out. I, I have an easy time understanding that it's going to be autonomous cars or fleets of them driving, picking up people more regularly, doing more ride shares, getting from, I live out in uh, the Richmond area, Seacliff, uh, and then getting downtown. Well, there must be like, the, the app already knows there's three, four people on the way. It's really super convenient. They all know where we're going. It's only a block away. More ridership, more streamlined. And I see that, you know, when the, the cars are stacked next to each other on the road, that they, they travel faster. There's no delay. No one's on their phone. Mm -hmm. You know, so they move when this light goes red. There may be no lights in a perfect world. But, but anyway, <laughs> there's still going to be drivers. There's still going to be, you know, Robbie, the car enthusiast who loves his car. And he's going to drive that... Um, VW van that he just 1968 van he just digs <laughs> and drops his kids off at school or you know and so that's gonna get be a, put a kink in that perfect chain of automobiles taking off at the red light right and so how those are gonna talk to each other you know so I, I, I see it continuing on and I see it happening um, I I got a rental Tesla what did you think blown yeah it's pretty that, amazing right it's, it's torquey. Autopilot. Mm -hmm. and oh, you used it. Yeah. And it, it had the had the autopilot. And I was calling friends. I have a, a place up in Healdsburg. You know, so it's like yeah. we drive up there on the weekends. And I was calling friends like, yeah, yeah, how's it going? Hey, I'm driving up to Healdsburg. Uh, oh, that's most Except I'm not driving. <laughs> the car is driving. But it's pretty ideal for wine country. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> not having to drive. Yeah. It was ideal also. That's <laughs> true. But it's ideal for stop and go traffic, going through the center fell and through the Pedalumineros. And it was, you know, I just like checked out. I was going five miles an hour or 25 miles an hour. You know, and the car was taking off, the car was slowing down, staying in the lane. I was chilling. It was the best. Did you feel any nerves, any anxiety, any apprehension um, about it? I had faith in the technology. I don't know. <laughs> I, I did. I, it didn't take me long to get over it. I, you have to keep your like hand on the mm -hmm. wheel, you know. You know, I stayed engaged, particularly when it went over a certain like forty miles an hour. Like I thought that would hurt if we wrecked. When right. I was at like fifteen, I was like surfing the web actually because there's a large screen too. 
Right. Have you, have you driven one? Oh, yes. Um, yes, we were loaned one for a weekend by um, a friend of ours. And so I did drive it. I was very impressed by it. Um, and I think Tesla is really impressive in general. I think their design is fantastic. I could see how their cars are completely comfortable, especially among them. I mean, we see them a lot around here uh, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. We're, a little, we're in a bubble, obviously. I think if you, you go to other places, you don't see them quite as much. But, um, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of like... Did they just have an announcement? They delayed an announcement. Elon had something to say. Yeah, Elon is known for missing his deadlines. Uh I like to joke that if uh, my editors were as flexible with me as uh, as the public seems to be with Elon, I would I would probably miss my deadlines more too. (laughs) But um, but he, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like his plans are just incredibly ambitious, and that. At the end of the day, they are a relatively new automobile maker, and they haven't been doing this for 100 years like some of the established car companies have, and they don't have uh, maybe their system down quite as well as other companies do. And so I think he says, you know, we're going to ship this, and we're going to do this. And I I just think sometimes that there are delays. Um, I guess how forgivable that is to you depends on whether or not you're an investor in Tesla or whether you've ordered (laughs) ordered the Model 3, which I have not. Uh, So, you know, um, but no, they're... They're pretty fantastic vehicles, and um, I think what's interesting is seeing that there are these two schools of thoughts emerging right now on the autonomous portion of these cars, which is, um, you mentioned this idea that you had to keep your hands nearby, right, just in case you had it to take control, the vehicle yeah. back over and yeah, take control again. And um, there are some people in technology, some companies in technology that believe that is not the way to go because uh, the research that's being done right now shows that us as hum- we as human beings, we really don't have the ability to have our heads down on an email, you know, and then the car sees an anomaly in the road and tells you, put your hands back on the wheel. And by the time you've, re- you've reacted, it's actually too late. We don't have that kind of reaction time. Um, uh, but Obviously, that's the way Tesla is going right now. They're sort of easing into that mm-hmm. autonomy, um, whereas other companies like Google are working on fully autonomous vehicles. I mean, I call them the clown cars because I don't know if you've they seen them, but they're like little clown cars, right? <laughs> and they have like no steering wheel, and they're just like yeah. you're just you're not supposed to do anything at all because the belief is there is that the technology is going to react more quickly than a human ever would in that situation. Um, and I don't know which one is actually which kind of school of thought is going to prevail, but it's really interesting to see that happening right now. Oh, I think it's fascinating. My yeah. dad sends me these articles all the time, like just forwards it on. You yeah. Know, it's just, you know. Imagine what it would do for commutes around the country. Imagine what it would do for, you know, everything. It's just a, I don't know. I would use it. I drove here. I'm like, every yeah. time I drive, I feel like my, my soul die a little bit. Because I've lived in Manhattan for 10 years. Uh, I took the subway for 10 years, and then I uh, moved to the Bay Area, and I was like, well, why am I spending so much time in my car? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so you're around all, all of these amazing event, inventions and probably entrepreneurs, too. Um, what, do you ever just come out with this idea that you're like, I'm going to execute? I've got an idea now. Oh. You know? Are you ever, are I don't know you, where you're going with that. I'm like, no, I thought you meant, like, do you ever come out of a meeting and you're like, I'm going to execute them? Like, oh. I'm like, what? No. no. An idea. Brian. An idea. An idea. Right. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, that definitely happens, but um, I think also being a journalist who reports on technology so much, you all- we also... Oh, 
And that didn't mean that you would execute their ideas. I mean, oh. the, the being around that that um, creativity mm-hmm. somehow rubs off, and you've got a new idea. I just want to make that clear. I'm not suggesting you. Oh yeah, like you're going to yeah. do a startup um, yeah, no, or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, you're like reviewing all these hardware, software pieces. I mean, uh, does your brain get going? What are you going to invent? Oh, that's. <laughs> uh, so I would say yes. It's easy. It's easy to be inspired by by companies or people who seem to be executing on ideas really well. I mean, it's easy enough to come out and say, uh, I admire what that person or that company is doing or has done, and um, and how can I apply that in my everyday life? I mean, I think that's a pretty normal human interaction. Um, I would say the downside of that is sometimes we see so many products or so many services that it feels like a glut. And if anything, then you, you kind of think like, well, the world maybe doesn't need this much stuff or we don't really need all of this but they're trying to sell it to consumers and we sort of have to be the you know the voice of reason or the authority to say like this isn't as good as that or you don't really need to buy that um so i think it goes i think it goes both ways i mean there's certainly a lot of inspirational people in the technology industry who um sometimes it's not even the product they're putting out but you know what little you know about them it might be the way in which they appear to be living their life uh, in which you either think well, that seems rather inspiring. You think, um, well, gee, I, that's probably not a good way to go about things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, do you ever review items in, uh, negatively? Oh, yes. You do? Yes, uh, absolutely. And it's mostly, um, it's mostly when things have bugs, you know, software bugs uh-huh. or um, even hardware issues that seem uh, sort of irresponsible or poorly done. I mean, I think very few companies these days come out and say, um, this is a beta product or this isn't ready or this isn't very good. Everyone comes out with a new tech product and says, this is the most amazing thing yet. This is the most disruptive thing yet. And so that's not 90% of the time. That is not the case. Oh, yeah. What is, you know, every job or occupation and has like the same kind of thread of conversation or maybe the same question comes up. What kind of come, always comes up? You mentioned everybody is saying this is the best thing. This is totally disruptive. Is are there other examples of the same like sayings come up? Oh yeah, that's a good question. I know there are some. I'm gonna have to think about it for for a moment. Um, uh, well, I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, uh, I know I hear catchphrases a lot, and I just I can't think of any right now. I guess disruptive is the you know we're crushing it and we're killing it and that sort of thing generally (laughs) generally you know uh a lot of times we'll say are are you making money are you profitable and you'll get the no but we're on the path to profitability and you have no idea if that path is you know eight years long or one year long yeah um do you want to talk about the election i mean do i (laughs) (laughs) oh i don't know do i and there's a debate tonight i know I have things to go do. But I don't know if the, the, we're not. This will publish a week from now or so. Uh-huh. So yeah, the debate will be over by then. I don't know. The election won't be over. No, the election won't be over, but the debate tonight's but debate over, will be really? long over. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much more of this I could I can take. I was joking during <sighs> the the first debate. I was joking that I should probably be tracking my heart rate with these you know wrist wearables that i'm always wearing Mm -hmm. um because i just felt like it kept spiking throughout and then i mistakenly planned travel and mistakenly you'll understand why i said mistakenly planned travel 
to arrive back on the East Coast uh, for a trip to New York on Sunday, October 9th. And then I said, oh, you know, I should, my family's up in Connecticut. And I said, oh, I should probably go see family while I'm in town. That'd be fun. And so I went to Connecticut for the night of Sunday, October 9th. And I thought, oh, no, there's a debate. And I just arranged to be around, like, extended family oh, during a debate, which is just a, Was I advise nobody to do that. Um, however, just drink a lot of wine if you do. That'd be my my advice oh. yeah so tonight there's another one yeah so silicon valley has been mostly supportive of hillary right more so than trump but they haven't been like overwhelmingly supportive uh, maybe is that do you have any uh, ideas why well so to say overwhelmingly supportive in terms of um the numbers of prominent people who have spoken out in support of Hillary, I think you are right. I think that is accurate to say. I can think off the top of my head of more prominent people who have supported her rather than Trump. Uh, the, I guess, obvious counter to that is Peter Thiel. Yeah, I saw he gave uh, uh, $10 million or $1.5 million. Yeah, it was like, like one recently. and a quarter, I think, yeah. to support Trump. And, of course, he spoke at the RNC, which surprised oh. a lot of people. Um and then since then, there's been sort of this, you know, to get even more meta, you know, people that have worked with Peter Thiel are either saying he can vote for who he wants or people who have worked peripherally with Peter Thiel saying, no, now we're not going to associate with him and his fund and all that. And so um, there, there's some drama certainly happening in Silicon Valley. But yeah, it seems um, there was a letter that was published on Medium that was written by Katie Jacob Stanton. Um, and it was signed by about 100 influential techies oh, yeah. in the area who supported her. And you know Chris Farmer? I do not. Mm. Should I know him? Mm, I think he would help put that together. Okay. Maybe he was on the list. Is that possible? I think he'll kind of get rally some people to sign that letter. It was like from Silicon Valley execs to the public. Like, please do not support Trump because we believe it will negatively impact commerce. That was it. Oh, for commerce. I mean, I think the, if I remember correctly, the scope of the, uh, the letter was a little bit more than just commerce, but um, just about innovation and bringing mm. talent and keeping an open mind in general. And then who are some other... Well, Tim Cook, you know, CEO of Apple, did host a fundraiser in Silicon Valley for, for Hillary Clinton. So yeah, there have been some prominent techies who have, have spoken out in, su- in support of her. Um, and uh, I mean, I will say in general, I live in Silicon Valley. Uh, I live in Palo Alto. And... Um, I am surprised, I, I would say, when I run into people who I know that maybe work in the industry, um, maybe as, in some ways have you know, achieved a certain level of education or tend to be pretty open-minded um, in terms of like their, you know, their social beliefs and things like that. And then every so often you find someone supporting Trump and it's kind of a surprise to me. Um, and I'm not uh, quite sure I understand it. I know I really wrestle with it. I mean, I was talking about it last night. Yet again, um, I wrestle with it. I think there's so much pain from so many, uh, like, middle of the country because, like, it's not working for them. Mm-hmm. Like, the country isn't working for them. And it's... Yeah. Th- that, they just... There's a lot of they anger. Cha- they want to change. Absolutely. There's a lot of anger. And it's not just the middle of the country. I mean, mm-hmm. I yeah. spe- just spent time back east and was speaking with extended family who are not in support of Hillary. Um, I think they're kind of wavering at this point. And I've spoken to people on this coast who are in support of Trump or people in Colorado. I mean, so I don't think it's just a middle of the country thing. Uh, but 
I think there is this this anger and this frustration that is coming um, predominantly from the working class who um, feel like the system isn't working for them. And maybe we're told something you know, 20 years ago that has not panned out in the way that they thought. And the thing is that, I mean, I hope, I personally hope that Hillary Clinton wins and I believe, knock on wood, she will. But that is not going to end on November 8th. I mean, that is, you know, we're, we're all going to have this sort of, well, I shouldn't say we're all, but people who have supported her are going to have this this feeling of relief and perhaps happiness on November 8th. And then we're going to wake up on November 9th. And that anger that is simmering, you know, uh, from on the right and from the working class and people that are really disillusioned right now with government is still going to be there. And I think um, the next four years beyond this are going to be really interesting. I, yeah, they're going to be tough. I, I worry that the political discourse, how it keeps getting worse and less constructive and less cooperative uh, that it's and, and now those these these debates are atrocious i mean it, you know just common decency is way thrown out the door it is it's, it's so just bad. so i mean like how can anybody govern whoever won how can they govern given their, their actions during the campaign like this for you know so many so much hate will be lobbed at either person it kind of um, yeah, negatively impacts their next uh, their their ability to lead absolutely it's um, really it's really kind of sad it's sad to see to hear the things that are being discussed as a serious part of this election process and I primarily blame Trump for that I mean how could you not just the things that he has said in the past that have come to light the things he has said during the course of you know the past 10 months mm-hmm. are just atrocious and um and by the way i should i should put this out there as a journalist you know i'm technically not supposed to sort of express my support of one particular candidate or another and um i did uh in effect, make a donation to the Clinton campaign through an event that I went to earlier this year. It was just published in the Center for Public Integrity and the Washington Post ran an article about journalists who've contributed money and I was on the list and I'm on the list. Um, and uh, But I spoke about it with my editor and he said, you know, you write about gadgets, like you write about tech. Mm-hmm. You're not writing about politics. You can be a part of the process. And he sort of gave me the okay. And I'm pretty vocal about what I believe on Twitter. And, and the, the thing is about Trump is that even if I was not getting involved from a political perspective in the political discourse about the election, you could just take what Trump says piecemeal and say, this is, for lack of a better word, deplorable, right? And you can just say, like, if Trump was not running for president and he was still just the high-profile business person that he is, like, this would still be disgusting. And I'm going to express that opinion, right? Yes. And so that's just sort of how I feel about it. I know. It's upsetting. It is. Super upsetting. I'm not going to ask you who you're voting for. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Definitely Hillary. Uh, I just, you know, I have two young daughters. Um, I can't imagine. I'm a business. I run a business. Um, Think about little young uh, teenage boys, right? And they're learning how to now uh, be this carnival barker as a manager on how to really manage people like these are gonna be like or or and women you know but yep. but as a man because he's a man so it's, it's the <laughs> right 
The guy almost did like a Trumpism right there. I watched too much of this. <laughs> <laughs> did you have that sort of politician yeah, you know, waving finger. your finger? <laughs> <laughs> With the small hands. <laughs> your hands are normal size, I guess, yeah. from here. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the idea of this role model negatively impacting businessmen and, and, and sons and daughters. And, ah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm senseless. And uh, I don't, I just don't get it. You know how, you know, uh, you want to keep your Twitter followers and your your Facebook friends more like Facebook friends uh, from growing up, you know. And, and I, I you want I, to I'm keep just, them from growing up? I, I have, oh, the ones you had from growing yeah, up. Yeah, my yes. friends. Sorry. Have you unfriended people? I'm pretty close. Yeah. I almost did it the other day. I actually wrote one, posted it, and um, and then retracted it. I, I, I like said I, I will I'm unfriend. Have you, have you unfollowed? Uh, have I have a few, but I think yeah. that's a, that's damaging, right? Because then you just live in a bubble. An echo chamber. Totally. And I'm not interested in that too. I think yeah. what I'm interested in is, uh, you know, writing what are writing it for them too. They're they have just as much um, at stake. They're as big of a soul as as I am. And if it's not working for them, it's not working for them. Right. You That's know, exactly right. We want to like we don't take the most, uh, you know, deplorable of the, uh, his supporters, who's a racist, a misogynist. I'd like to get turn them right, and to make them champions, you know, right. of the country. You know, I, I I want them to all come along. People, so people should feel empowered, mm-hmm. you know, to live the life that they want to live. It doesn't mean it doesn't require hard work. But, um, but yeah, or that it's not hard sometimes, but you're, you're totally right. And the thing with these tech services too, with a service like Facebook, I mean, everything is so, we're all sort of being funneled through these personal, these personalization algorithms now. So you're going to see more, you Jeff, of what you like based yes. on what you're already seeing on Facebook and, and what I'm clicking who on, you're friends just... with and what you're clicking on. And so it does sort of funnel you into just that world and Facebook's algorithms are not going to do the job of ensuring that you've read news articles with my teeth with opposing views or that Mm. you are just exposed to those um, (laughs) because of personalization at least as far as I understand the algorithm so we sort of have to do it ourselves and I agree I've had a hard time unfriending people for that reason I'm like oh they're supporting Trump and they're kind of ranting but I'm curious to see what they have to say yeah how they're feeling do you ever watch John Oliver or like the the Daily Show? I do, but um, I'm probably their worst nightmare. And well, in the sense, that, like when late night shows are trying to figure out their digital strategy, and they're like, "How should we make the content available so that people see it for all those people that just watch it whenever they want to watch it and don't mm-hmm. tune in on a regular basis?" And that's mm-hmm. that's me. I'm like, "Oh, if I have time, I'm going to pull it up on YouTube," but I'm not a yeah. not an every night or regular consumer of it. Yeah. They go out and interview people at the Trump rallies, and yeah. you know, like a one. And this could be the same thing at, at a Hillary rally too. But they're asking, they're making, they're poking fun. They're having a good laugh at everybody. And you know, this one woman's like, "I just don't understand. Everybody I know, and everyone I'm around is a Trump supporter. So I don't understand why he's not winning. It has to be rigged." And you're just like, "Where do you? Where are, where are your friends? You know, suggesting that they're a Trump supporter on Facebook?" And he's like, well, "Isn't there all the?" Isn't it all just your friends? It's just you're in an echo chamber. It's the chamber? same people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those people are the, the same people. You're not, you're not thinking this through. You know? <laughs> right. But that could be said for the Hillary 
supporters too. Um, so, um, in, so in 2008, you were covering, this was at the Washington Post? The Wall Street that? Journal. Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. sorry. It's okay. So Another great paper. O- yeah, the Obama, the, the meltdown. What was, it, what was politics like when, when you felt like you were covering it then? Um, well, to be honest, in the live video department, we weren't actively reporting ourselves. We were more um, producing programming around the stories that were already being reported. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there were the financial reporters for the Wall Street Journal who were writing for the paper and writing for the website. And then same with uh, the political reporters who were mostly based in Washington, D.C., um, technology reporters were all over. And so um, I personally was not going out and like shoe leathering it or doing the reporting on that. I was more just like facilitating the video production when we would make videos. Um, I remember the mood being very bleak though after the 2008 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, it was a really bad time. And, and that's why it's hard too when people. I think criticize Obama now for the economy. I'm like, I just I just remember how bad it was and oh, yeah. all of the banks collapsing. And I mean, I remember there was a team of people who would stay late in the newsroom every single Friday night because that's when all the small banks would file for bankruptcy or small companies would file for bankruptcy and try to kind of slip it under the radar by filing late, filing chapter 11 late on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, there was a team of people that would just they would just sit around and wait for that, the bad news to come in on a Friday night and from more financial institutions. Um, and so like, I remember that being pretty, like a pretty crazy time, in, specifically in that newsroom. And I could not have timed that. I mean, I, I didn't have a finance background. I didn't, I just had ended up at the Wall Street Journal as a video producer and just sort of happened to be there and observe it all, so. Yeah. Seems like things are better now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was one of the posts I had, I had seen from, from a friend was, you know, four more years of this disastrous Obama administration, but you know, it hasn't worked for them. You know, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Yeah. And the, the line used to be like this. It was like, yeah, um, for those who are not watching my hand, it's at a 45 degree angle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is exactly at a 45 at degree 45. We have a protractor here as well. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, there's lots of people in the middle, you know? Yes. Uh, but it's like flattened or so now it's like a, a J, you know, or, or almost an L, which yeah. is poor and then there's rich. Yeah. And so the people that it, obviously, what I, what I keep thinking of are, are the people in the middle uh, of the country and, and you're saying on the coast too. Um, but they're, the, it just didn't ever write for them, although it write, righted for the, um, prominent business people or even moderate business people it righted but right there in the middle it just didn't do any anything yeah. we should probably not talk about it for forever it'll be a whole podcast about yeah. it's obsolete <laughs> yeah and also I'm I don't think I'm an expert in macroeconomics either so um, okay so uh, one question I always like to ask everybody because the the topic we're, we're just we're focused on talking to different lifestyle threads and you know tech is such a big thing here in san francisco so we're so happy you come and talk to us but um, we do a dash of design too like that's a we've got a tagline lauren it's you know, <laughs> we're talking about everything with a dash of design so i love that that should be your intro dash. yeah you should put music under that yeah <laughs> It is terrible, isn't it? No, no, no. Yeah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I do. Uh, the, the, also, the animation of it too. Um, but 
if you have a, what's your favorite room in your house and why? My favorite room is the bedroom. And that's not for any suggestive reason or not safe for work reason. Uh Um, It's my favorite because it's the room that I decorated. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So, I I mean, I should back up. I I live with my boyfriend and we've lived together for the past few years. We moved out to California together from New York City. And... um, he, we have very different approaches to sort of decorating things, and not just decorating, but buying things in general. Like mm-hmm. He tends to be a little bit more thoughtful and methodical about what he wants to buy, and then um, that's like the nice way to say it, and then, then another way to say it is like excruciatingly slow. <laughs> and um, we'll do you know months and months of research in advance and do spreadsheets and all that stuff. Are you familiar with the website, The Sweet Home? any chance sweet home is a fantastic website i'm friendly with um brian lamb who runs it and and basically their editors just do months and months of research on all kinds of consumer products and home goods and then they publish articles and say this is the best whatever and this is the runner-up it's a kind of a consumer reports for modern age and so my boyfriend likes to joke that thanks to the sweet home he no longer has to do the months and months and months of research of every home product he could possibly buy um because they do it for him but he didn't like buy a couch for the first nine months we were dating and all this. He couldn't decide and all that stuff. I tend to be, on the other hand, more of a, um, like a gut reaction, sort of a visceral reaction sort of person. You know, I'm out and I see something or I'm looking at something in a magazine and I say, oh, I like, I, I have a feeling about that. You know, I want it. Um, and uh, so I, I tend to be like more feelings-based when I'm looking at things. Like things have to have sort of an emotional connection. And so I said I wanted. I said I want to do the. I want to decorate the bedroom. And he said, uh, "Okay, what do you have in mind?" <laughs> and um, and I was like, "Well, I think I'd like to do like just be sort of inspired by my travels to Asia." Um, so I spent time in Hong Kong and various parts of Japan. And I was in Vietnam for a little while last year. And I thought. I just, this is what I want to do. And so the bedroom to me is, um, I, the, it, the art in the bedroom is either something that I acquired when I was in Asia or it was inspired by my trips to Asia. In some cases I've actually, um, you know, I've taken like iPhoneography of certain things and had mm-hmm. it printed out on canvas mm-hmm. and cool. just everything is, um, like I have this, this amazing Buddha that I found on Etsy but it's a female Buddha and it just kind of like spoke to me. And so I think, I don't know. And I just feel, I don't, there's no TV. There's like no gadgets in the room. The lighting is very dim. It's literally like paper lantern type stuff. Mm. And it's just like very, it's very calming to me. So what color? Um, we have one accent wall that is painted this kind of burnt orange or burnt, I guess maybe like a burnt pumpkin sort of color. And there's nothing on that wall. It's just like that one is, you know, specifically not not decorated and um and then like but like i was for example i was in uh kyoto at one point a few years ago and i was at the emperor's palace in kyoto and it was cherry blossom season so the cherry blossoms were out and it was was super beautiful there at the time and um i caught this this picture um with my i think it was my actual camera not my iphone um of these two women just walking along talking with umbrellas and the umbrellas were like this bright pink color and it sort of just popped against the cherry blossoms and I caught that photo and I thought this is the best photo I've taken in all of Japan like this is the best this is the one and so I sort of had that like printed out and um so yeah I don't know I guess that was sort of a long answer to say the bedroom 
Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's actually falling asleep right now. He's like, that sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, that's great. You touched on something I'm passionate about. And, you know, you kind of design with either your head or heart. I think different people approach it different ways. And I, I'm like heart. I, I want to know how, really how it feels. And so like, a lot of our work really is how it's styled out or the, um, the, the space, um, the, uh, I guess the floor plan or how much gracious kind of walkways are provided in, in the living room. Um, but yeah, it's all about how it feels. It is yeah. all about how it feels. And yeah. I've never lived in very ex- expansive places. Um, I was in sort of a shoebox in Manhattan and, uh, and now just in a, a one bedroom in Palo Alto. It's not, um, you know, it's, so I've never had a lot of space to work with. And I feel like sometimes even that constraint can be good because it forces you to be a little bit more creative or think almost more like an engineer in terms of how you're placing things and how you're, you know, just how you're sort of getting, how you're moving around, um, the apartment. I don't know, but I mean, realistically, my cat rules the apartment now. So he, uh, he's the boss. Yeah. I'd probably have to run all design decisions by him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Captain, you know, hey, Captain, do you mind if we do this blue accent? Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A great name for a captain. <laughs> His name is actually Nougat. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's really cute. We um, There's a joke at uh, The Verge that he was the inspiration for Google's newest operating system, Android Nougat. Oh. Yeah. I campaigned pretty hard for Google oh. to name it Nougat. Did you? Yeah. And then, um, and now like if you look at the operating system, they've buried a little, a little game inside the operating system and the game is, is about catching cats. So, you um, really? I think, I think that? I may have, I don't know. Really? Yeah. Our editor in chief says, I, I mean, I know a few. Next level. <laughs> Yeah, so if you ever use Android wow. Nougat on your phone, you just think of my furry little oh, cat, geez. my furry little... Like, uh, that's like when our last driveway at our house got poured, I, we wrote our names like down in the concrete. You, <laughs> you had Google yeah. make a game for you. <laughs> like, you're really in there. So An operating system. <laughs> um, so what's going on with Twitter? Uh, like a little more... Uh, I don't know. Do you want to pool money and buy Twitter? Because it seems like everyone's pulling out. I think we might be able to get it at a bargain. A little deal? Would you like to? Would you like to go um, in on it? I love Twitter. What's the revenue model? Are <laughs> or is it, how are they going to get to profitability? Um, from a user perspective, I, I personally love Twitter. I use it like my newsfeed. I'm on it all day long, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, I was an early user of it. But um, I could see why companies are hesitant to acquire it because of the concerns about the potential for revenue. And I could also see why people who are not on Twitter at this point are probably like, how the hell do you use Twitter? Because it is kind of its own language. You know, it has its own vernacular and its own kind of, it's not just like logging into Facebook and saying, here's a feed and I put Mm -hmm. stuff in the status bar and great, you know, and here are a bunch Mm -hmm. of baby photos and pet photos. It's like Twitter is like really kind of its own universe. I'm kind of too embarrassed to ask here. But that was a plug. I love that. <laughs> you can say that a few more times. <laughs> but uh, beyond like searching like hashtag debate tonight or something like that, like, how are you recalling information? Like how do you best use Twitter? Well, most of the people I follow are 
media people, influencers, entrepreneurs, business people I follow, brands I follow. Um, and so for me, it's just a running news feed all day long. I will often, I will often see news break on Twitter before I've seen it on any of mm-hmm. our news sites. Mm-hmm. Um, You're just watching the feed. Come just on. watching the feed. And um, sometimes I even use it to recall my own information. You know, if I'm like, like I was at an event earlier today and I was tweeting from it. Uh-huh. If I want to go back later and say like, oh, what was that? What did that thing? What was that announcement again? I'll actually go back and search my oh, own tweets. Yeah. as what, You know, kind of feed. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, having been in the news business for a while, I mean, when I was, when I first started out, there was a system called the ENPS Newswire system that, uh, you know, a lot of media outlets used, um, which I think was part of AP. And, um, and Dow Jones has a newswire service, right? And Bloomberg has a newswire service. And these are literally just feeds that come into professional media organizations. And I, I mean, I know people still use those, but to me now, like Twitter is my personal, my personal version of that. So that's kind of how I use it. So should Bloomberg buy Twitter, you know, something like that? I never thought about that. It's not a bad idea. Huh? You should pitch it. Huh? Yeah, there Thank you go, you Jeff. Um, one of the uh, maybe the last time, last question we have time for, and I'm not. I was just curious to see you. You <clears throat> this Ease CEO Keith McCarty. Did you? Interview oh him? yes, we interviewed him on um, Too Embarrassed. Yeah. Hashtag Too Embarrassed. Yeah. Did I tell you the hashtags? I didn't tell you the hashtag story about that. No, tell me. Oh, well, we just it's really short. We originally wanted to call it T E T A. Too embarrassed to ask. Hashtag T E T A. And then someone alerted us that if you look for hashtag TETA on all the social media networks. It brings up very not safe for work content. Oh. It stands for something. I don't know. I mean, was, I was like, oh, you know, when I looked and I was like, we have to change our hashtags. So and now it's uh, hashtag too embarrassed. That's the second time you said um, not appropriate for work. I you know. Say, you, no, for work NSFW. <laughs> that's good though. So, yes. So he was, he's disrupting with marijuana like this mm-hmm. is a keith mccarty can i yes. can talk about that absolutely like, so they're delivering they're going to shut down cartels influence by delivering marijuana door to door like you know through the mail he he said during the interview that he thinks that um legalizing this even more than it's already legalized for medicinal purposes could have the potential of shutting down drug cartels because it's basically bringing something sort of to the forefront and and regulating it, um, Mm -hmm. which some people are for and some people are against. Mm -hmm. What Ease and other startups like it are doing right now is they're they're enabling delivery of medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. So they they have a technology platform and then let's say one of the dispensaries would sign up for that tech platform. The dispensary has their own drivers because those drivers have to be certified to do what they're doing, which is transport marijuana. And then the tech platform just kind of sends in the orders to the dispensary and says, this person wants however many you know, grams or whatever it might be. Um, but there is a pretty big vote coming down next month, I believe, for the legalization of it for recreational mm-hmm. purposes. And so that's kind of what that podcast episode was, was about. Uh. Um, was more like what are the implications if this is legalized for for recreational use and not and not medical use and at that point you know I think my co-host Kara Swisher said um, you know could this possibly disrupt the cartels and he said yes and oh, it was oh, sort of like that but we didn't really go too deep and narrow into that mm-hmm. particular topic. Um, it was funny because for a while on the podcast we had this string of episodes like one was about sexting 
it was immediately after one of the Anthony Weiner scandals broke. And so we talked about sexting and where, you know, where that's sort of going. Then we talked about drug delivery. And then we talked about, I don't know, we just had this like really funny sort of consecutive string of podcasts that were not exactly about tech, but were, mm. had to do with tech. What has been your favorite podcast? I actually think the one we taped recently, which was about uh, mattress delivery services or mat- online mattress companies that, you know, have you tried these? They deliver them in a, in a box and there's, you know, Casper and Tuft and Needle uh-huh. and Lisa. Oh, and then, Casper. Okay. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. see that. Um, one of you guys had, one, maybe you or your co-host had Ashton Kutcher, who's an investor. Uh, Kara had Ashton Kutcher on yeah. recently as well. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so, so it comes in a box and it just like you open it and then folds and gets bigger. Yes. Yeah. Basically once the air is let in, it expands yeah. and then you have a regular full size mattress, it but there are, you know, a dozen of these companies are more right now that are doing this and they're mm-hmm. undercutting the traditional mattress sellers because they're just saying, we're taking out some of the overhead and we'll charge you no $800 and you, or you could buy it for, you know, 2000 in a store. Um, so I think that was my favorite one so far. We had a lot of fun with that. I made a lot of really bad puns because I'm like, I love making bad dad jokes. I didn't make any on this show. I like, Can we hear I'm one? disappointing. I don't know. It has to just come naturally, uh, Jeff. It has to uh, just be like, dad I don't jokes know. Are the best slash they, worst. <laughs> they are, right? <laughs> or the dad bod. Have you heard of that? Da- I have heard of dad bod. <laughs> I think that's kind of mean, actually. <laughs> because if it was the other way around, everyone would be in an uproar. Oh. You know, if people were like, you know, Cindy, like, uh, Cindy Crawford has mom bod. People yeah. would be like, are you kidding me? First of all, A, she looks tremendous. Yes. And second of all, that's mean. So I don't think we should be mean to well, dad bods. My nephew is, uh, just finished college, but when he was in his fraternity, like a year ago, he told me that it's kind of hip around the college campus to have a dad bod. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's just because they just want to drink a lot of beer and not go to the gym. And oh. that's um, like when you have to enjoy the fact that you have a super fast metabolism. And uh, well, anyway. Well, I really appreciate you coming and sitting down. Like, really fun to banter with you. It was, thank, you. thank you so much for having mm-hmm. me. It was really fun. And... Um, and we went to some different places. We talked like, about the election like and we were, bedrooms. We're talk about and, everything. Yeah, this is... Just dash. I'm really enjoying your podcast so far, too. I just listened to the entire Stephen Steve Elliott episode uh, oh. prior to this, and I thought it was really good. So well, keep I up the great work. listen and have fun getting to know you a little bit better, too. Um, sure. I hope so. I hope they still follow me on Twitter. <laughs> right, Thanks, Jeff.